Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration is wrapping up for the summer 2020 session of the ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups. In fact, the 11 a.m. Eastern section is closed for registration, and there's only three spaces remaining in the 5 p.m. Eastern section. The groups will run for eight weeks on Mondays and Wednesdays, beginning on Monday, June 1st, and ending on Wednesday, July 22nd. And again, only three slots remain in the 5 p.m. Eastern section. So go to adhdessentials.com slash parentgroups or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com to set up a pre-registration call to see if the groups are right for you. Also, if you're not listening to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb or ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, now's the time to start. In Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, you'll learn all kinds of wonderful tricks and hacks to take better advantage of your ADHD brain. And in Eric Tivers' ADHD Rewired, you'll find a show designed for adults who have really good intentions but slightly wandering attention as a result of their ADHD. Finally, the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So let folks on your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feed know that we exist. And don't forget to put a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us grow the show. In fact, feel free to pause this episode and go do it now. Today, we're talking to Bruce Sabian. Bruce is the co-founder, owner, director, and clinical supervisor of Academy Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Academy Metro West runs weekly social skills, groups, and Bruce himself provides individual counseling and executive functioning coaching services to children, adolescents, and young adults. In today's episode, Bruce and I talk about how his usual hands-on, in-person work at Academy Metro West has changed since things went virtual and the ways he and his staff are supporting the kids they work with. We discuss how reducing competition can make it easier for kids to receive feedback, the power of cooperative games, and where to find them online, why virtual schooling has made things easier for some kids by reducing variables, and the challenges of family dynamics. All right, let's get rolling. So I, I've been involved with Academy Metro West and other, and other Academy programs since 1988. Um, when I was starting out in graduate school, I went in before the program even started to try to work with a professor to find an internship. And, you know, what I told him was, hey, look, I, I want to work with kids and I don't have a car. Um, I need a place I can get to where I can work with kids and get there by mass transit. And he says, how? Oh, well, go check out the Academy of Physical and Social Development in Newton. And I took the bus up there. Didn't tell me I had to walk a mile from the bus stop, but I did. Um, I went up there and wound up taking the internship and it wound up being sort of a crossroads for everything I enjoy doing and everything I'm good at doing. You know, so I, I did an internship there. I worked um, part-time for a year and full-time for four. And about midway through that, my partner, you know, uh, 
the guy who wound up being my partner was a colleague there. And he and I decided, you know, hey, we really like running groups, but we don't want to work for a boss anymore. And we proposed this idea to open up sort of a satellite branch out in Natick. And that wound up getting started in 1994. And what we do is we operate two programs over the course of the year. Um, during the school year, we run weekly group therapy sessions. And all our groups meet in a gym setting. We use uh, cooperative, non-competitive physical education or physical activity as a means of helping kids get at issues around self-image and social skills. And the idea is that by taking away the competition, trying to make things as collaborative as possible, we're trying to take as much pressure and stress off the kids as we can so that when they're with us, their focus is on having fun and making connections and being successful and the idea is that hopefully they become a little bit less defensive and a little more receptive to some of the feedback they're hearing about the way they're interacting. You know, the feedback can come from us, it can come from other kids. Um, and the idea is that we want them to be in a position so that when we we're making or we're providing that feedback, they hear it as, you know, helpful hints from a trusted ally rather than, hey, this is just another adult bugging me about my behavior. You know, we do those weekly groups with kids as young as generally about six. Um, and the last few years, it's been going all the way up through high school. Probably the most common presenting problem we'll see is ADHD. But we also work with a lot of kids on the autism spectrum, particularly over the last few years. Anxiety has been everywhere. Uh, you know, in our kids, we see a lot of anxiety, learning disabilities, uh, anything where social skills figures pretty prominently, you know, in the presentation. Then during the summer, we run a small day camp that's based on the same cooperative, non-competitive physical activity model. And that usually runs for six weeks. That's all pre-COVID. That is all pre-COVID. Now I can't go to Academy Metro West and take a class because we're social distancing and physical distancing more. How are you making that shift? Since uh, even before the quarantine, I, I was looking at what people were talking about with social distancing and what are you going to do as a business if there is a quarantine? Because what we do pre-COVID is sort of the opposite of social distancing. You know, we're bringing kids together to do physical things together in a gym and establish social connections. You know, it's, it's really difficult. It, it's really impossible to do that in circumstances like this. So we did a lot of staff meetings trying to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense to, you know, continue providing services to our kids. And for the remainder of the school year, we're doing uh, all our groups remotely. And obviously, we're not doing cooperative physical activity right now. We are doing whatever kind of activities you can do with kids over a Zoom session. It can be anything from collaborative computer games to word games to charades, anything that get kids working together and being in the same social setting. And the goals are a little bit different too. The focus has, like the focus on concrete social skills and really hammering away at that is probably less than it was a couple months ago. And really what we want to do is help kids get through this really difficult time. For our kids who have a really difficult time making friends and socializing in the best of circumstances, right now the opportunities are minimal. It's just really difficult for them to get together with friends. That's one of the things we're trying to do in our groups is say, 
even though we're not phrasing it this way, the idea is that, look, if you don't use these skills, they're going to atrophy and, you know, you need to keep it up. But also just because socializing is such an important and enriching part of life and we don't want them to miss out on that. How are you making that adjustment? What are the new activities? I have a different answer for that each week. You know, what I did with my staff is I said, look, you know, everybody has this budget, go and find, like, particularly on Steam, you know, we go and try to find uh, computer games that you can do uh, together as a group. You know, sort of the go-to have been some Jackbox games, Quiplash, uh, Gaspionage, uh, you know, other games like that. And, you know, they're, ide- they're games that you can do, even like I, I used to do pre-COVID at parties. If I had friends of ours come over with their kids, they're just sort of fun activities you can all do together. They involve some creativity, uh, humor, but we're also just doing other kinds of online games. Um, there's one that we use that's sort of an online equivalent of Pictionary that we're using a lot. It's nothing highly inventive or, or earth shattering, but my premise is that you can do group therapy with kids using just about any activity. As long as you get some engagement and some buy-in, there gets to be, you know, and you create some group dynamics, the options available to you are pretty wide open. Um, we use cooperative games when we're not in the midst of a global pandemic because, you know, the confrontation um, you know, that's built into a lot of competitive sports is taken out. And the odds of kids getting through without conflicts and maximizing their success is higher. There's some give and take doing, you know, remote groups. You don't have the same level of stimulation. So kids don't, you know, the emotional regulation issues aren't as big, but the activities themselves, it's all right, let's just keep trying new things and see what works and talk about it and keep going with things that get kids engaged. You know, even when we're on our site and we're doing, you know, the groups that we always do, the routine is that when they're about 10, 15 minutes left in the group, we all go to an office anyway and have a snack together and do a more quiet language-based kind of game. It's doing Mad Libs. It's doing uh, lateral thinking puzzles. Again, anything that gets kids engaged. We're doing some of those same activities, uh, you know, sort of stretched out a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I would have to say that our go-to have, has been so far Jackbox games. And there's this game Scribble that's uh, sort of like Pictionary that we've been doing. And, it, you know, you ask me, is this as satisfying as doing a group in person? No, not at all. But in, in these times, we're making adaptations where, like I said, we're trying to keep kids connected and engaged and you know we're listening to their feedback and trying to do activities that get them excited the reason that i brought you on was because i read an article that you had written about how the kids you're working with are navigating the covid-19 and the self quarantining and all that stuff so what are you finding with your clients and the kids that you work with i am finding that i am very surprised by the way kids have responded to it what I found is that kids in general, and specifically quirky kids, which is sort of how we collectively think of, of our guys, you know, the ADHD, autism spectrum crowd, seem to be taking this more in stride than neurotypical kids and adults. And, you know, at first, my expectation was, boy, I know a lot of little kids on a spectrum who are going to crash and burn. I know a lot of ADHD kids who are going to go crazy 
with boredom. And what I have found has been that they're, for the most part, doing fine. That you tell a kid on the spectrum, hey, guess what? You don't have to go to school for two and a half months. As long as you get your schoolwork done, you can hang out and play video games. You don't need to deal with all the social stuff at school. You don't need to deal with transitions. You don't need to deal with recess. You don't need to deal with gym, any of that stuff. You don't have to go to your, you know, get pulled out for your special ed services. You're just hanging out in your comfort zone. They're, for the most part, doing pretty well. I, I would say, you know, I posted that blog probably about two weeks ago. And in those two weeks, I, I would say that with the kids I'm seeing, I'm getting a little bit more of, yeah, I'm getting really bored, you know, but I'm not getting the crashing and burning that I was expecting. You know, I, I you know, the real reason I thought, in addition to being anxious about COVID, I thought that once kids' regular routines broke down, you know, for the kids who really have a hard time dealing with the unexpected, uh, that it was just going to throw them off. But it just, as far as I can tell, has, I, you know, I, I know it's happened with individuals, but it's not, it has not been the general trend as far as I've seen. You know, I, I think if kids are getting anxious or frustrated, I see more, I'm spending four hours a day on Zoom for school and I'm done. I don't want any more. That's it. And they, they don't want to be part of our groups. But that's, you know, I think that's a rational same decision. It's not uh, born out of anxiety. It's just uh, frustration tolerance. But, I, you know, I, I think kids are, are so far have been handling it pretty well. That's really interesting to me because I, I ha- like my clients, the parents are struggling and some of the kids are struggling. And usually it's around schoolwork. That's where the conflict seems to be coming up. And I don't, I don't want to belittle or poo-poo sort of that this is hard because this is absolutely hard. And I don't think that's what you're doing. I just want to make sure that it's clear to the audience. Oh, absolutely. What you're saying I, is it's not as hard as you thought it was going to well, be. Is for kids. For I, kids, I, right. I, I'm not speaking about how I'm handling it myself. You know, <laughs> that I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, for the most part, I'm doing okay. I'm hanging out with my wife and my daughter and, you know, running our groups remotely. But every once every two, three days or so, I have like, is this ever going to end? Are we ever going to get back to the routine we used to have. And I, I'm, I'm definitely not denying that, it, that it's hard. I'm just saying that I think kids are, for the most part, handling it at least as well as adults, if not better. And I, you know, I, I will tell you that when I, when I was writing the article, uh, writing the blog, I was a little wary about posting it because I was afraid that I was going to get reactions like you were just sort of suggesting, like, you know, getting people posting, oh, you know, my kid is, you know, in his room crying five hours a day. And how can you possibly say that? I honestly, I have not gotten that at all. I've gotten more. I'm seeing exactly the same thing. Just last night, as a matter of fact, I do um, a monthly father's group um, with the Asperger Autism Network. And I posted the question to them, you know, how are your kids handling it? And, you know, it was a small group last night, but everybody said they're doing fine. They're in their comfort zone everything's going all right. So yeah, I wonder how they're going to do once we uh, get to go back, you know, to our usual routines. I'm not sure, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. My brain is immediately going like, how come? And I see, I see a few different variables that might be playing a role in that. 
one of which is just socioeconomic status, right? If I can afford to go to Academy Metro West, I have probably more resources. Right. And that's going to alleviate some of the tension at home that's going to help the kids navigate things more effectively. Yep. But also, I think we underestimate just how many variables a kid has to navigate at school every day. Right. Especially social variables. And for kids with autism and even ADHD, those social variables can be really, really challenging. And taking those off the table pretty much entirely is going to give the kid more bandwidth. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, those two diagnoses in particular, you know, school can just be one landmine after the other, just because, you know, so much of it is unscripted. There's so much going on. You know, the ADHD kids don't have to deal with recess. They don't have to deal with gym. They don't have to deal with, you know, sitting and listening to a teacher drone on for three, you know, for hours and, you know, having to sit still in their chair and deal with all that stuff. And, you know, the kids with autism don't have to deal with the lunchroom. They don't have to deal with gym and just the whole social landscape. There are, in some senses, fewer demands. That's an important thing to take into account here, I think. Kids are in their safe zone at home. There's not as many social pressures. There's not as many unexpected things that are happening. And that's going to make things a little bit easier for them. And it's okay that that happens. Like as parents, it's okay for us to be like, oh, good. Absolutely. I mean, certainly as, as parents, I mean, I, we just have sort of a, I guess, a wider cast uh, view of what's going on a lot of times in our kids. And if there's one less thing that is on our plate that we need to worry about, that's great, especially when it's something as important as our kids. You know, the other question, aside from what's it going to be like when they go back, is how long does this last? You know, how long can kids keep this up without starting to feel the pressure? You know, like I said, over the last couple of weeks, I've definitely seen an uptick in kids saying, yeah, I'm bored. And even some saying, yeah, I want to go back to school. (laughs) That's one of those things, you know, when you see a lot of kids each week who dread going to school and you start hearing that, you're like, all right, (laughs) I think this is going to be hard for some kids. Um, But again, so far, knock on wood, everything's I've seen has been pretty okay. And we're geographically close. We're both in Massachusetts. So you've had the same weather that I've had, which is a lot of rain. And that is not helping. My entire family does better when we can go outside. Yesterday was a better day than I expect today to be because today is rain yep. and yesterday it was nicer. I agree that um, it does get pretty claustrophobic when the weather's crummy. <laughs> on this uh, father's group I did last night, there was a guy on, you know, on the call from Alabama and he said, it's been in the 70s and 80s. And we've been able to get out and ride our bikes. And I'm like, not here. <laughs> Soon, hopefully, but uh, not yet. What are some of the things you're doing to help the kids in your group deal with the anxiety that they are experiencing? Well, our groups are different than normally what people think of um, when they think about group therapy. You know, person my age, when I think group therapy, I think of the old Bob Newhart show where, you know, you get a bunch of adults sitting around in a circle talking about their day and their relationships. And our groups are not like that. They're not really language-based groups. They're performance-based groups. You know, you're you're activity-based. But since we've made the transition to doing things remotely, by necessity, there's been much more conversation and language. And we're trying to make a point of every single week, starting everything by checking in with kids. Just 
guys, how you doing? We, as a rule, don't tend to draw great conversationalists as, you know, for kids. So we try to, we try to model it. And I'll, I'll even start by going, guys, I got to tell you, you know, this week, you know, for the most part I did, you know, I thought I was doing okay. It'd been a couple tough, tough stretches, you know, things where I'm getting a little bored. What about you guys? And I'll try to, you know, make things a little bit more specific. Uh, sometimes kids have a hard time when it's just left open-ended. Um, you know, so you'll say, well, you know, how you doing being out of your regular routine? How you, you know, are you missing school? And um, just trying to give them an opportunity to talk about it, you know, and also just to know that we're thinking of them concerned about their welfare. And I mean, just the act of continuing with the group at its usual time, you know, more or less the same members, it does provide some kind of consistency and routine that lets them know, look, you know, there's some things about the world that haven't changed. You know, you can still count on us. You can still trust us to be there. And hopefully, you know, with as much consistency as you can muster, uh, they start to feel a little less anxious. When do your groups take place? Like what time of day? During the school, you know, the school year, we're an after-school program. You know, you, that, that's one of the, I guess, constraints of doing a group program with kids is that your ability to, to access them during the school day is pretty minimal. We, uh, we do groups on weekdays, um, usually one block around 3.30 and one block around 5. And, you know, some years when programs are really busy, we'll do Saturday groups. I'm asking because I'm noticing, at least for my family, I can't talk about anyone else's, but I imagine this might extrapolate out. For my family, we're done at like seven o'clock. Seven o'clock seems to be the cutoff for our ability to continue to do anything. And my kids are in scouts and their scouting stuff starts at seven. And we aren't doing that anymore. It's just not a thing that is working or effective. It's a waste of time for them to sit there on a Zoom meeting trying to learn about automotive repair or weather or something. It's just not working. And so we, we just stopped going. And eventually we'll be physically at a scout meeting at seven o'clock at night. And that's easier for them to do because they're not at home. There's people there. There's the social pressure of people physically there. And that's more effective. So that's, that's why I was asking because I was wondering how late up going they're afternoon groups but i will tell you that i mean just using my family as a data point that we've kind of gone the other way in terms of schedule there have been some additional stresses that come with working remotely and dealing with a crisis like this but there have been some that have been taken away like there's a lot less pressure to have to rush to get places on time there's no more commuting you know, my job is in a regular group is very, very physical. And that's not the case anymore. A lot of times, you know, I'll finish my groups where around the same time my wife finishes work, my daughter's done with all her, her school stuff. And we get to seven o'clock, we're raring to go. Like our clock has been pushed a little bit later, if anything. But I, you know, in general, for kids, for the most part, I've seen kids come to groups with pretty good amount of energy. The exception has been the kids who are, have Zoom fatigue. Like they're just, uh, they've done so much of it for school that the prospect of sitting down for another hour, even if it's focused on doing something fun, it's like, no, I'm done. I want to talk to people 
in person. I don't want to sit and stare at a computer screen for another hour and have to pay attention to that. But that, that's been the exception rather than the rule. Circling back to the father support group that you're working with mm -hmm. affected by Asperger's and autism, any other important insights coming out of that group? You know, you're talking about the parent coaching group you're doing, you know, where it had just started and now all of a sudden you're, you know, doing remote groups. What we've been trying to do with that group is to pick a topic each month and focus on that topic. And we skipped our March meeting because this had just been starting. This month I said, you know what, we don't need to float an idea for a topic because there's really only one thing people are going to want to talk about right now, getting through this. That was kind of the, you know, the overarching theme last night was that the, the kids are all right. You know, they're, they're doing pretty well. You know, and he, the parents seemed like they were hanging in there too. That uh, I guess if there were one difficulty I could point to, it was probably be the dynamic between dads and moms because the family dynamics have, have had to change because everybody's always home. So people's traditional roles that they've taken on through their marriages and with their kids have been sort of turned upside down because if there was one person who always went to work and was gone for the day, now he or she is home. And depending on your perspective, either in a position to help or in a position to just muck up the works. And, you know, there's, I, I would say it was probably... 50-50 of people saying, we're, we're doing very well with this, or my wife can't stand me anymore, because <laughs> you know? I'm just there, and she thinks I'm getting in the way all the time. That, that was mostly what we were talking about. We, we spent most of the time just talking about what people have been doing, what people are doing to try to stay healthy, both physically and emotionally. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? What I've been trying to do just for myself, and I've heard other people talk about it as well, is that if you look at this as just being an obstacle, you know, it's certainly easy to do that. There are a lot of good reasons to just look at it as, as an obstacle. But if you also look at it as an opportunity, you can germinate some positive. You know, my hobby and passion has always been music play piano, I play guitar. Now that I'm home all the time, I have time to practice. I'm trying to get my skills back to where they used to be. Initially, I had had a backpacking trip playing with my daughter for June that doesn't look like it's going to happen. But you know, when I started, I was like, all right, well, there's a good chance to get in shape for that. And been trying to just spend at least half an hour a day working, you know, just exercising on our elliptical. You know, I, I think a lot of people, whether it's conscious or not, are doing the same thing. And I, I got to say, it's working well for me, you know, in terms of how to think about interacting with your kids. I mean, I think it's such an individualized set of demands for everybody. It's hard to make a blanket suggestion. I, I, I don't know about you, but when, when the quarantine just started and I would look on social media and find different organization saying, you know, here's how to manage your kids in a quarantine. I, I looked at that, I go, how do you know? Have you, have you been through this before? Were you around in 1918 when, you know, the Spanish flu was around? Like, how do you, what, how do you know? You know, so I think there's some principles, you know, that you can take from 
you know, just observing child behavior and everything. But I, I, I think the, the idea is just do your best, do the best you can, look at what works, look at what don't works, and try to tailor it from there. Combine, you know, using structure, using downtime um, to try to get as much out of this as you can. I've seen a lot of schools really place an emphasis on mental health uh, of their students as opposed to, you know, pushing them really hard on the academics. I, I think that's a good idea. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.